Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? Lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call G-Team Mechanical at 765-376-3042 or visit gteamhvac.com. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Great flag flies on the freeway. Hello is on the inside of Rossi, but Erickson has bolted. Erickson sprints away from Joseph Newgarden and is doing what he did a year ago. The second year in a row we see him unleashing the dragon as we see almost contact between Polo and Ferrucci. Erickson leads out a one. Ferrucci threw a shoulder at Alex Polo and said, don't you dare. Ferrucci trying to get a draft off Newgarden and Erickson, but Newgarden with a monster run off turn two. Joseph Newgarden has never won the Indianapolis 500 and he's ahead on this last lap. Joseph Newgarden, is this the moment when the pain ends? The drought, is it over for Joseph Newgarden? Or does Marcus Erickson have something? Team Penske at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And Joseph Newgarden finally wins the Indianapolis 500. It's the captain's 19th win. Newgarden's first. Finally, Newgarden is an Indy 500 champ. Uh, well, I thought I did at first, um, but it keeps it keeps hitting me every time we go through something new. And this is by far the coolest holiday season I've ever had. You know, it is just it, it is nonstop, as you said, Doug. You know, I've got to say it is uh, to me the highest honor that you can have in motorsports. Looking at the history and the pedigree of this event, you know, it truly has transcended motorsports um, and the, the motor industry, if you will, what this race has, has, uh, has been about from the very beginning. So um, it is just, it has been surreal for me to finally be able to win personally. Of course, it's much more than me. You know, this, this was a team effort by so many people um, just to have this career. I think, you know, just being a part of the Indianapolis 500 to be able to qualify for the event is a huge deal. So to be able to win it actually is, is just something I can't describe. And I, I wasn't able to describe it until, uh, it, until I was able to, to finally win it with our team. So uh, it's been, I, I lose words to be honest, Doug, because I want to be so respectful of what this event is and what it means to so many people in this community and what everybody has done to be a custodian for the event to make sure that this, this great race um, is you know held to the highest standard. I think it deserves that because of what it is. Happy it is holidays. So One more I, I time in 2023. One more before 24. It's Trackside. 93.5, 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, Elijah Robertson in our studio with assistance from Landon Coons tonight. We welcome him. He'll join us in the seat coming up in January. Always good to finish off the year with the greatest race in the world and a highlight from the 107th Indianapolis 500 and the gift that keeps on giving just 
I guess that was last Friday, Joseph Newgarden was in Indianapolis becoming the 75th individual winning driver of the Indianapolis 500. That's some trivia that I would not have been able to come up with that number had I not read that when he received his, um, or I, I guess saw his image officially on the, the Borg Warner trophy again. And that is now, according to what I'm reading, Kurt, the 110th face on the Borg Warner. And that is because... Well, you have multiple winners. For example, Elio's there four times. Al Unser is there four times, same as Foyt and Rick Mears, and multiple drivers. I think there's, I don't know if there's well, that's 20. that's why there's only 75 instead of 107. But the but reason there's more than 107 is because of those years with, you know, L.L. Corum and his teammate. And now Cyrus Paschke is not on there, though, right? Isn't that yeah. the name of uh, the co-driver for Ray Haroon? That's right. And Tony Holman has an image as well. So okay. it does uh, add up to the right numbers. We credit Steve Shunk for all those great Borg Warner statistical uh, bits of information that we all love. Sorry, I still don't sound like the greatest. Uh, maybe I never did, but I'm still I'm on the back end of a two week cold and I haven't coughed all day. So now I probably cough in the middle of the show and I'll just sound like somebody else. So I really do have a voice for radio today. Okay. I may or may not have had COVID. I never tested since I don't leave the house. So it really didn't impact anyone. So I either had a cold, fairly mild cold, or very mild COVID uh, last week or so. And I, I think I'm fine, and I never was bad. So we roll on. I have left the house a couple of times this week, so that's been good. Left the house over the weekend. And a, a very, very busy day today. So I'm just kind of freelancing on, because there's so much that's happened in the last week. I didn't really feel like I needed to organize a whole lot of content. I know we have uh, more than enough to talk about. And uh, there's some news out of my household. That's what I was busy with today as driver manager, getting some things sorted. So we'll get into that and, and probably speak on it at the very end of the show uh, for some news coming up. I've always told you that I thought one of the cool events in motorsport was the roar before the 24. If you want to see and meet drivers, well, we, we have one of our drivers that's going to be participating, namely one that lives in this house coming up that weekend so we'll get details on that uh, a little bit later on um all right let, let's speak for just a moment on joseph before we get to uh likely more lawsuits and drivers fighting over the same seat you know i think uh from what i read from joseph comments there and we heard a little bit of it you know it was interesting for him to admit that you know he he had said before that no i always said that winning the championship was just as important to the indy 5 as the indy 500 now you know i know it's the indy 500 i think that's what you say when you've won a championship instead of the indy 500 and i get what he's saying you know i've always rationalized it this way within our world within the sports i believe there is just as much credibility if not more for winning the championship does that make sense in the paddock because that's not just getting it right on one day or having the best car or maybe your engine manufacturer was better you've got to do it all season long and there there aren't flukes that win a season championship that's right and and 
to largely there's not flukes that win the Indy 500 either. Uh, let's be clear Agreed. about that. Not, but it's not like Daytona or Talladega. Yeah, it really isn't. And I mean, you can go back through all the winners, certainly in, in our lifetime, and and just not find a fluke. Now, you could argue that there's a couple years where maybe the driver who won wasn't the best driver that season or in his era. Uh, but even, even a driver and, and that doesn't, I'm not going to include Buddy Rice in this discussion, but I, I'll say Buddy Rice won three races that year. He, he, you know, it that wasn't just, yeah. he had a great season and he was, he was fast. He was the pole sitter for the month of May in 2004. He, uh, he, you know, he had a great year and most people don't think of Rice as a championship level driver that i mean as a championship winning driver which he did not win a championship in indycar but that year that day that month he was exceptional and so so that's that's something you know when buddy lazier won the indy 500 in 1996 granted that wasn't the best field that indianapolis could have fielded on that particular day but Buddy Rice or Buddy Lazier had a great career, won a championship in 2000, and you know consistently that consistently proved that he was worthy of being an Indy 500 winner. So you know you have some years. My point is, you have some years where maybe you don't think of those drivers as being on the same level as as Rick Mears and Al Unser and Bobby Unser and AJ Foyt and Johnny Rutherford true real legends among others but you just don't have flukes at the indy 500 it may be no there nowhere no one comes out of nowhere um you know cheever won races all through his his years uh right there when you know when he went like five straight years or five and six years he was winning races so you know there are some years where where maybe the driver isn't regarded in the in the very upper echelons, the Dario Franchitis of the world, but you're not you're not getting flukes. You just are not getting them. And Joseph, Wait a now let you correct yourself. There, are you saying Dario was not in the upper echelon when no, he was I'm saying five hundred. No, I'm saying that sometimes like okay. the drivers aren't like Dario in the upper ah, echelon. But but um, you know, but Joseph Joseph now has a realization that that uh an indy 500 is is immensely immensely important and it's important to his career and if anything to the outside world it validates his two indycar series championships uh it shouldn't be that way we should we all recognize those of us in the sport and around the sport and go to 17 races on like five different types of racetracks short ovals and big ovals and small small ovals you know what road courses street circuits we we get it it's a it's a daunting challenge to win a championship but it's also a daunting challenge to win the indy 500 and good for joseph for finally having one of each at least there are very few indy 500 winners that at least in the current era i don't know what that breaks down to but in recent memory that have not contended for a championship at some point the only one that hasn't is Takuma Sato. Two of his six, I think it's six, career wins are at the Indy 500, and he almost has another one as well, but he's just been so good there, and he was a Formula One driver, so it's not like he doesn't have credentials, but he's kind of the only one 
that never came close to winning a championship. Maybe, well, Ari Leindyke in the IRL didn't in carts, um, but Ari certainly, and, and a decent percentage of his wins came on on ovals as well. But yeah, it just they're, they're not flukes in the Indy 500. And to the point, getting back to Newgarden, how he switched to that, and what he also said was, yeah, I really wanted to win one. And, you know, I think paraphrasing, he was essentially kind of saying in some ways I had tried to get over it. Does that sound right? That that he had, I mean, he, he knew it may not happen. It had been 11 years and it just might not happen. So I was maybe trying to convince myself that I didn't have to have that. But now he has, and he says he wants number two more than he wants number one. So that's kind of a common refrain, too. Once you experience that, it makes you want it even more. But whether he ever does or not, you know, it's it's career fulfilled. But competitors like this that reach this kind of level in any sport are not going to be satisfied. So I get what he's saying. That's why he's where he's at, because he has that type of drive. And he is going to be, you know, some might say, well, maybe he's going to relax now because he's got this gone. No, if he feels like there is a chance, he is going to be just as annoyed if it's not going well and and be driven just as much to win again. Well, I think there's a sense of, okay, I've got one. Now I know also that two puts me in another class and I'm on the path to four, if you will. I'm not saying he's thinking that far ahead. But you start to say, okay, I'm in the group. I'm in the club. Now how far can I get in the club? And he's going to have a great car for years to come. The other one, by the way, uh, who fits the category of Takuma Sato is Marcus Erickson. Uh, but Marcus nearly won it a second time. And like Sato, was a Formula One driver of of pretty good stature. So, you know, it's no fluke he's there in that either. Category, though, he's, he's finished, what, top Five in the championship a couple of times and been in it until the final weekend. No, I, I, but just, I hear you. He's not he, won a championship. He's not won a championship. He's not, you know, he's contended deeper than, than Sato, but you know, I think he fits the category. Nobody's talked about him being runner up as an IndyCar champion to the championship and so forth. But, but his time is still probably going to come. And, and honestly, I think he was probably the driver that should have won uh, this one, Joseph made a great move on the last. Uh, in fact, Erickson probably cost himself coming out of turn two with the move down to the bottom. And and Joseph played that terrifically and then held him off coming off turn four. But you could make the argument that uh, Erickson's as close to two-time winner back-to-back as we've had since Elio. So that was a, a really good effort on Erickson's part. And like him, you know, he doesn't have a lot of wins. What has he got four in the IndyCar series? And and one of those being the Indy 500. I'm going to have to look that up. I would have guessed he has. No, you're right. He, he might, has four. I yeah, thought he, he had four. four. Yep, you're right. Um, okay. Now let's move on to juicy stuff. And uh, we, so there has been confirmed announcements in the past for AJ Foyt racing. Some have said just because it was announced because there's a contract doesn't necessarily mean anything. And we still don't know what's what, but here's what we do know. A driver was announced for AJ Foyt racing last week. And this is where it gets less clear. 
we think he might have been replacing Benjamin Peterson, but we don't know that. Stingray Rob, let's let's first give Stingray some love and focus on him. So Stingray Rob gets year number two in IndyCar. That's never guaranteed um, after a first year, but he's going to get a second chance, and he goes from Dale Coyne Racing to A.J. Foyt Racing. So congratulations to Stingray. And from the business side, his family and his manager, Peter Rossi, have put together from all reports a very impressive portfolio of partners to uh, help fund this effort, which is always the case. The money's got to come from somewhere. And Stingray is a driver that finished second in the Indy Lights Championship and has enough upside where people are going to be interested in him. And AJ Foyt Racing was. So, so I, the I, cars I, they I, ran last year were 14 and 55. He's announced in the 41, which doesn't necessarily tell us anything. So, uh, in theory, Benjamin Peterson could simply still be in the second car in number 55. That is unclear. But general consensus has been that it's kind of an either or. And, you know, I've gone back and forth. I'm one of many that said, yeah, we hear whispers that we just and we don't know what's what. We just hear that this may not be set. A month or so ago, I said, you know what? We're not hearing anything else. I'm just going to go with the last conversation I had with Larry Foyt said that Benjamin Peterson is going to drive the 55. And Benjamin Peterson and his dad both said he's going to be back in the 55. So we'll go with that. And then with another week or so, Larry Foyt was not commenting. And when asked on the conference call last week, Nathan Brown of the Indianapolis Star, I believe, is who asked this question. Um about the perceived implication that Peterson would not be back at Foyt. And the answer was not sure about that. We're sorting all that out. So can't speak to that. So that doesn't mean he's gone, but it, it certainly doesn't mean that. Yeah. All is fine. I don't know why you'd ask that. Benjamin Peterson is on a multi-year contract and he is going to be in one of our cars next year. Nothing like that was said. And then here's the next part. Peterson, uh, who was announced last year in a multi-year deal, sends out a, a social media post in big black background, bold white letters, statements. You say statement. Uh, it's different than, you know, because the, the text could have been seen like it would be. The post was, it's awesome to see that Stingray is joining us here at AJ Foyt Racing, and I'd like to send a very big welcome. He will be a great addition to our team. Looking forward to on-track testing soon. Dash BP, means signed by Benjamin Peterson. So that alone would be normal. And that would be a normal post from a teammate already signed, but it usually would be accompanied with a social media image or just a tweet. But when it's big, bold, black, and says statement, that is legalese. That says, all right, you all think he's taking my seat. I've got a contract here, and we're going to court. I'll see you, and I'll be seeing you. <laughs> What's next? Well, uh, a couple things uh, that I would add to that. I believe Larry Foyt was asked a second time about 
the deal with Peterson and and was quicker to denounce that. Um, and I think well, he like said just saying, yeah, I'm avoiding not it talk or about, just saying yeah, just he's not with the team at this moment. No, just avoiding the conversation. And I believe he said that they were going to field two cars. So somewhere in the mix is okay. Is the that was my next question? Great relationship scenario that maybe because I think Santino Ferrucci is in the mix beyond just the Indy 500. And a theory would say I think this is one of the reasons why the team was interested in Stingray. I believe he has a larger budget amassed than what the petersons have at this point so that's why he might and there are always potentially other things that we are not privy to we can guess and we can speculate but we don't know the inner dynamics of of any of this certainly not with any authority um but a theory has been if you get a budget like stingray has that's more than what's required to run that car plus aj Foyt racing has some partners like Sexton Properties and ABC Supply for the 500. They have other things. And maybe Santino still brings a little bit of budget. So with that, because you know they'd like to have Santino continue, certainly on ovals, and I would think on road courses. He was their best performer there last year and has more experience than Stingray, Benjamin, anybody else that is in the mix until I get to Calamilot as a potential in a moment. Um, but the extra budget from Rob, could help pay for Santino. And then that's what I wanted. Well, maybe there's a scenario where they run a third car. So I, I forgot about the call. I missed it. So apparently that is not likely, which I did not suspect it is. It's too hard to find people. I doubt Chevy wants an extra engine. 28 full-time cars is difficult at some places, yada, yada, yada. The only thing I did see, coincidentally, I saw Benjamin at lunch today. Uh, I did not. I mean, I knew the show was tonight. I knew it'd be great to get a little inside Come information. Kind of left him to have lunch with his his lady and didn't ask the question. But uh, he certainly got a lot going on here. The only thing I would say about Stingray, from you know, from a uh, performance standpoint, is his his two past stops in Indy Pro two thousand and Indy Next by Firestone. He had market improvement the second year. In both That's classes. Right. I mean, he went from zero to 60 big time, both in both stints. So, you know, he didn't have a very good first year. The team, you know, didn't have, didn't seem to be on, on its, its game last year. Uh, so, you know, I don't think we can judge, you know, the performance. No, we don't know we where don't to know put what it. He is. We don't, we don't know, know, what, know he is. what he is. I'm, I'm looking at his race to race notes. St. Pete, he got collected in the opening crash, yep. ran four laps down the whole race. Did okay at Texas, but he did brush the outside wall in that one. Finished the race at Long Beach, lost power in the race at Barber, crashed with Malukas. Uh, that, I'm trying to remember. I think that was more Stingray's fault at uh, Indianapolis on the road course. Crashed in the 500. Uh, didn't on and on and on. Didn't go great. Sometimes it wasn't his. Now, what you can look at is I don't think he he didn't qualify better than 21st. So the pace is not there. However, pace for the team was generally not there. So I'll go back to I should have just stopped with we don't really know what he is. We don't know what he is yet. And and in fairness, we don't know what Peterson is either. 
I mean, any Correct. any of these drivers in their first year. I mean, even Marcus Armstrong. We don't we don't know yet. He hasn't run an oval race. Um, you know, we learned a lot of things about Linus Lundquist in three races last year. We we don't know what Linus is yet either. So there's a lot of there's still a lot of questions on all these guys. Um, what we don't really know is is uh, is what the situation is with with AJ Foyt Racing and who they're additionally going to have in cars. What surprised me is I'm not sure why they had this teleconference if they weren't ready to address that. They knew that was coming, and without that teleconference, that doesn't get aired. I'll answer my own question, I guess. Probably because stingray's camp said we've agreed to this a long time ago we need to get it out there we've got some other things we can't do anything until this is public and and maybe from the Foyt side it's yeah this guy's got by he's probably got twice as much budget than anybody else available we do not want to take a chance on on something going sideways even if he has signed a contract we just want to get it i, I don't know or maybe they have decided you know what we cannot come to an agreement on a separation with Benjamin Peterson. So we're just going to go forward. We're going to try not to say anything that puts us in peril and puts us more liable. And we are just going to work it out on the courts and understand that it is not going to be comfortable. I'm, I have to believe that they have explored all opportunities for a separation and they cannot agree so someone else is going to have to mediate this, and then it is going to depend on the language of the contract, whether there are any option clauses or performance clauses where all stipulations have been met. For example, have all payments been paid on time? If they have not, that might allow a, a loophole for the team to get out of the contract. So just to clarify, while I'm I'm looking at the transcript specifically, uh, I wanted to give you his answer, Larry's answer. Okay. He said, yeah, ex this is a quote. Yes, exactly. Our plan is to stay at two cars. We're just sorting that out now, working on that. There will be more announcements on that to come. And then later on, he was asked about, you know, what are the characteristics he's looking for in a second car, in a second driver? You know, the question was, you know, trying to get to the heart of which driver might be that second driver. And he said, well, I just have to wait for the announcement. I want to keep today about Stingray. Yes, we'll announce our other plans at a later date when we get that all sorted out. So there you go. Yeah. And and that's the only, there is no good way to answer that, which is no, why he's... I'm sure Larry would have preferred not to do this until things were all buttoned up. But that's my best guess out of this. So they have... There is no easy way uh, to solve this. I mean, I suppose if they see they are going to have to pay a massive penalty to get out of the Benjamin Peterson business, then maybe, maybe he is in their car. Or maybe they are – here's one. Maybe they are still pursuing, can we come to an agreement – to have you in the car part-time, Benjamin, and maybe we will lessen the amount of payment that was required. 
And then Santino does the car in some other races. So maybe there's a compromise. And some of that would probably come down to, is there another option for Benjamin Peterson? Uh, one person mentioned that they still expect it. And, and I'm not saying this is a report or I don't know if this is true or not. I tend to think there's some other options, but one thought was he's going to end up Dale coin racing simply in a trade. The Dale would still, Benjamin might still have the most budget that is out there and available. So there might be a path for him. Um, I don't know, but, and the reason I say I think that's less likely, because I think if that was an option for Benjamin, they would simply move on. Because I, I don't know that I would, um, you know, I think I would rate the Foyt seat better for the Indy 500 right now because of what they did last year. And they've been pretty good in the past. Um, but. All around, I, I still expect a little bit of an uptick for coin. They're comparable seats. And I would want to be where I'm wanted. And and I get the sense that they don't want him. And I don't know the reason why. You know, it's usually more than just performance. And here's something to think about. And going back to contracts, we don't know what the contract was. There certainly was, and we don't know the money amount. There were rumored amounts a couple of years ago that I'm not sure the reality was as big as some of those rumored numbers. And then what also plays into it is what's crash damage included? Was it just we're bringing you X amount of money for the year and that is a fine out amount? Or was it X amount of money plus all of the crash damage or a portion of the crash damage? If it did not include crash damage, then... Uh, there was a lot of crash damage, not all of it Benjamin Peterson's fault, but I have to believe that the crash damage was pretty close to what a full season budget would have been. So that might be a reason why things aren't as hunky dory and who knows what else is going on behind the scenes. The only thing I would say, and I'll bring in numerology to this, they announced Stingray for the 41. Benjamin has been running the 55. Mm -hmm. You know, the team is going to run the 14. Now, if Benjamin Peterson was coming back, I don't think he's the, I think he stays the 55. They would have made Stingray the 14. But that this tells me there's another path because the 14 yeah. doesn't sound like it's Benjamin Peterson and it's clearly not Stingray Rob. Now, I also think if that's where he wanted to be and they wanted him, I'm going to guess if I'm Benjamin Peterson, I'm fine switching to 14, right? Yeah, but I don't. It doesn't feel like that's the path. Of, yeah, of course not. There, there would have been more positive comments. There would have been. We're working through that. Um, we Stay tuned. love him, and we we've just got to figure some things. Out. You know, I don't know. Uh, so what's next? Lawyers. So they, you know, they are are very busy um, with. Alex Pillow, <laughs> Ramon Grosjean versus Andretti, and now this, and who knows what else. And I've heard rumors of a couple of other things uh, as well behind the scenes. As far as what might happen, I mentioned um, I mentioned Calum Eilat. 
And a couple of people suggested this to me, and I'm repeating it because I think it makes some sense. There might be a path for Callum to do something this year, either with Dale Coyne in a part-time role. He can't clear every race. Or maybe there's a scenario with sharing a car with Santino Ferrucci. And if the biggest budget is coming from Stingray Rob, um, and some might say, why would my money help fund the other car? Well, it's whatever the team negotiates with, and they can use the money however they want, just give it away. But I think it's in Stingray Rob's best interests to have Callum Eilat on the team some to help them. He's really good. He's the best available driver out there. I guess not named Simon Pagino, who we don't know if once he wants to drive uh, at this point. So I think that would benefit the entire program. It would benefit Stingray. It could benefit Santino if he's sharing the ride. And then it's simply a third car for the Indy 500, which they have the ability to do. The same scenario could apply with a driver that has some budget, but not all the budget. And Dale Coyne has shown that he's willing to invest in talent to some extent. So, and I think we've mentioned that before, that that's one of the places where, you know, we wouldn't rule out somebody that doesn't have budget, like a Callum Eilat or a Jack Harvey. Agreed. We got a lot still to sort out. I thought we had most of it sorted out. Turns out we don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, there will be lawyers. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't, don't know. know how we can avoid it. No. Um, and wouldn't you just really like to know what's going on? Oh, and sure. Think about drive to survive and a hundred days to Indy. This is content that if we could get cameras around, no one's going to allow this, you know, you get some juicy stuff and drive to survive. And, you know, after the facts, uh, six months, a year later, you know, you kind of get how Ricardo is leaving a team. And that's that's juicy stuff that doesn't see the screen until everything is all sorted. This would be fascinating if somebody was documenting this. But nobody wants that. Nobody wants that out there, or at least of the people involved. But the inside story of this, you know, I think some of us think we know some things. But I admit, I certainly do not know all of this. And I don't know that many know all of it got ideas and theories but probably very few people know all the stories involved in all this because i've heard like three different scenarios on some things and i'm not sure what's what so there you go remember contracts are just starting points they're suggestions <laughs> all right uh what else do we need to get to by the way i did i just did a quick check I wanted to see, is today Festivus? It's not. The 23rd is Festivus. So I wondered if maybe there was going to be a, an airing of grievances between the parties, if maybe that's the way this can all be adjudicated. Uh, we've got some some other news, more things to go back with Honda's comments from last week. I think we'll revisit. And plenty more. Final edition of 2023. It's Trackside, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is Joseph Newgarden, and you're listening to Trackside. Okay, before we forget, uh, no show next week because it's the day after Christmas. And then the following week, also off on January 2nd, we always take two weeks off at the end of the year. So mark it down. Next program 
is on Tuesday, January 9th, and maybe we'll have some more of these questions answered. And there are still some lingering things out there. By the way, we need to get back to, because there have been more developments on the Honda front. Chevy has had a response. I think we need more time than we have in this next segment. So I'm going to save that for the start of next hour to kind of get in on that. And uh, Honda last week said, yeah, we're going to have to have some reduction in cost to improve the ROI, or we're going to be looking elsewhere. And Honda has made a suggestion. So we'll share that. And then what Chevy had to say and just kind of continue down that conversation. So we talked about the Foyt situation. We have one more car now, Kurt, finalized. So then there were three, we think, two coin cars. For nothing there, and another AJ Foyt car. By the way, that does not mean just three drivers will get to participate outside the Indy 500, but three seats shared in any way that they can figure it out how to make it work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus, plus we got some Indy 500 seats still to resolve, um, and so we'll see where that goes. But let's get the full-time cars settled first. So of the... Perucci, which I think, I believe, I don't know, but I believe he is involved in some team. I think he has to be uh, because of the success they had at the Indy 500 last year. At minimum, if he's at least going to be in a third car, I think that third Foyt car now is being shopped around a bit, which I don't think it was a week or two ago which tells me at the time they thought Santino might be in that car. Now, if it's being shopped around and there are conversations being had about it, that tells me that Santino is in the number 14 for the 500 or the full-time car. Can't guarantee that that makes him full-time. I still, I shared last segment, a scenario where maybe he's splitting that. Uh, might not just be Calamila. Maybe it's another budget, a driver that comes in that has some budget combined with some talent that they'd like to see a little bit. So Santino was one. What about Devlin DeFrancesco? I don't know the budget level, but he is someone that had budget before. You know you've got to have pretty significant budget to be able to get a seat without massive, massive credentials at Andretti Autosport. He's not with them next year. Does he still have the same level of budget? I don't know, but... I still think he's going to end up in one of the coin cars, but I cannot guarantee that. But that would be, if we had to guess today, that's the one I feel most confident about, that Devlin is going to be in one of the coin cars. Who is the other one? Is it Benjamin Peterson? Is it a combination of Benjamin Peterson and Callum Eilat? Is it someone from the F2 world? I, I've gone through some of those names in the last few weeks, and I keep reading about you know the names and of possibilities and i see more and more of now i've decided i'm not going to do any car i'm going to be a reserve f1 driver i'm doing another year of f2 i'm doing super formula i'm sure there's still somebody out there but that's starting to dwindle a little bit there are other options of talented drivers that are worthy of a full season but unless they are surprising as finding budget, I don't know who they are. Now, Dale Coyne does not always require a lot of budget. So does Jack Harvey find a path? 
I would think he would like to have Callum Eilat involved and might be able to help work that out. And that's another scenario. What if Devlin DeFrancesco has a lot of sponsorship attached to him and that helps fund Callum Eilat? If I'm Devlin, I'd like to have Callum Eilat on my team part of the time to help get Dale Coyne racing back where they were a couple of years ago. They've lost a lot of engineering. Um, but Dale has smart people, always does. Now they've had a year. I wouldn't be surprised to see a resurgence from them next season. Who am I forgetting? You know, I guess that Takuma Sato could be in the mix for more than just the Indy 500. Uh, when I get to the 500, here's my guess of where I think Sato is. He's either going to be in the fourth Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan car, or he's going to be in a third Dale Coin racing car. I don't think both of those run. I think whichever one gets sorted first might be it. I don't know if Honda allocates an extra engine for both of those programs. Could be wrong, but that's kind of my fear. Agreed. I think those are his two landing spots. I would vote for Ray Hall, but I can't uh, do that with great conviction. And maybe he wants to do more than one race. Dale Coin Racing would be the opportunity there. There is a potential opportunity at Ray Hall. They might consider that. But I think the price tag to do more than one race would be higher with Ray Hall Letterman. And, and keep in mind, they have Yuri Vips under contract. For races outside of the Indy 500, they'd probably rather put Yuri Vips in the car. I could see a scenario for, for Ray Hall being, all right, we're going to need to amass some extra crew, get them some experience. We're going to run Sato, who will have a chance to win the race, uh, two-time winner in the 500. But we want to look ahead to the future, and we want at least – a couple of races for Yuri Vips to see him develop a little bit more if we are going to run a fourth car. Plenty of Indy 500 options. I keep refreshing to see if we see an announcement from Dreyer and Reinbold for the Indy 500. That's the next. And if you say that Andretti is running a fourth car, presumably for Marco Andretti, that gets us to 31 confirmed entries. And Dreyer and Reinbold would be 32 and 33. And I think that will be Ryan Hunter Ray and Connor Daly. I do not know that with 100% conviction, but I believe that makes the most sense to me. Connor has said, I've got something, and it's going to be, he said he didn't know when it's going to be announced. So I don't know if it's before Christmas or not. Um, after that, you've still got Sato, who I just talked about, to Simon Pagino. Want to drive? Um, how about J.R. Hildebrand? And I I don't know if he's working on acquiring budget again, but that might be a landing spot for him at A.J. Foyt Racing. Stefan Wilson has partners and is working on something. I would think he is a possibility at A.J. Foyt Racing. If I'm wrong about Dreyer and Reinbold, he could end up back there where he was last year, but Connor was working with the team. Uh, I have to believe they liked having Ryan Hunter Ray last year. That's my best guess of where that comes out. Catherine Legg could be a possibility with Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan. Um, Jacob Abel. I maybe. Um, I don't know. With Abel Motorsports, my guess is if they run a car, which I think they're planning on doing, and I believe they have an engine lease to run one, I don't think the second is going to happen at this point. My guess is it's still R.C. Enerson. I honestly have not talked to the Enersons in a long time. 
So I know as much as anybody else does in that front, but that's just educated guessing. I think, and I don't know the budget level. Uh, I, I don't think the able family wants to do all this on their own. My guess is they'd feel better about Jacob if he was part of a two car team. And if that's not going to be the case, I don't know if that's the best scenario for him to try to make the race for the first time. He might be better served focusing because he has a chance to win a legit chance to win the Indy next championship. He's been strong in testing. He has experience. Yes. I know HMD cars are going to be strong and Andretti cars are going to be strong, but Jacob has a legit chance. So that's, I I'm sure that's an internal debate that maybe they haven't decided. So you're right. Can't cross him off. Uh, well, an able, an able car. Let's it was maybe a better way of saying it. An able car. I think an able car does run. Yeah. Yes. Um, and if that happens, and if Ray Hall or Coin run a car, maybe we're at 35. Probably not more than that. Uh, so that is where we stand on that front. What else am I forgetting? You know, I've, I've mentioned Hinchcliffe, and we talked about him. Uh, unless Marco, and this is not coming from Hinch. I have talked to Hinch, but I, other than on the air, I have not asked him about the Indy 500 in a while. My guess is that a scenario that would see him run would be if for some reason Marco Andretti says, I don't want to do this, and he could run a fourth Andretti car, or would they consider a fifth? I think, as he said, it's got to be the right situation, so I don't think he's going to do it just to do it. I think it's got to be the right situation. Maybe a fourth Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan car is that, but I don't know. If if I'm Hinch, that team had a car not make the race last year and the others were not very quick. I don't know that I want to take any chance of my last hurrah or a comeback ending in tears. He's been there, done that. And he's got another job and he's got another job after that. And he's got another job after that. So he doesn't need to work right now. He can be picky. So I, I'm not sure that there's going to be a path for our buddy next year, uh, but he's still young and he's racing in IMSA next year. So I think that kind of keeps the dream alive that he can be patient and look for the right chance in uh, in 2025. I'm sure I've left out some people, but that's kind of where we see things. Uh, we'll preview our number two and a lot of things coming up in a moment on Trackside. Hi, this is Mark Zerickson, and you're listening to Trackside. On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Okay, still plenty of things to get to in hour number two, and we'll talk Honda, Chevy, future of IndyCar, and uncomfortable discussions coming up in, in just a moment for some, uh, and, and some that don't really want a whole lot of uh, publicity on this, but it is what it is. And, Kurt, you have uh, put a list together, some questions for us, right? Yeah, yeah, things that happened in 23 that we should take note of and debate because that's what we do okay we'll do that coming up in a moment trackside 93.5 107.5 the fan hi this is colton herda and you're listening to trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 the fan 
hour number two, final hour of 2023, a couple of weeks off. We'll see you two weeks from tonight in 2024. Elijah Robertson is in our studio. He's got some time coming up off in January. Landon Coons is in there uh, observing tonight, and he'll run the ship coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, so just be prepared, Landon. Podcast questions come directly to you. If there is an issue, we're giving out your home phone number. Uh, and and right after we give out Kurtz. Does yeah, anybody have a home phone of. anymore? Even my mom does not have a home <laughs> phone. I had her cancel that several years ago because no one called the home phone other than people you didn't want to talk to. Yep. Uh, first world problems, as we like to talk about life here on the program. It was very cold today. Uh, and I looked outside yesterday. I feel bad. This is an apology to my neighbors that my leaves are all over the place. But last weekend, when it was warm, I have a tree. I don't know what kind it is. But as of Sunday, it still had 75% of its leaves. And my neighbor uh, has one like it as well. They don't come off. And we got a big wind on maybe Sunday or Monday. And they're finally all off. And it was 16 degrees today. So I am probably going to spend Christmas Eve <laughs> raking leaves. That doesn't seem right. I think it's supposed to be warmer tomorrow. So that's on the to-do list to get the leaves out of my yard, keep them going to my neighbor's yard, who does not have a similar tree, and his yard looks pristine. So, again, first world problems. Yeah. I'd love to have a winter home. You got to get people for that. And uh, I have people for those leaves. I had people, but they are busy and they're older. Although some are I home thought, sometimes. I thought yours was t like twenty years old. He is, but he has he has he has a full time job. Um, although I might pay more than that job <laughs> to do that. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna work on that. I, I like to do something. All right. Uh, okay. Back to the task at hand. Um, plenty of conversation last week about. Honda on the record comments to racer.com essentially saying we need a better return on investment or we're out. Is that kind of accurate? Yeah. Got I think... About three years to get things settled. Follow-up story on racer was comments were comments from Honda exec Chuck Shifsky. Appreciate this. I know not, I I'd love to know, you know, I talked about, we'd love to know the story behind the story. What have the conversations been like? Um, because generally speaking, Penske Corp does not like public commentary at all. And I'm sure this has been received not well. But this is one of your most important partners so you have to tread lightly and you have to listen to what they say. And we kind of talked about whether this was good. You know, you're right. that The answer that from the IndyCar perspective, you're right. They're not going to like that. Outside of IndyCar, was it good to get it out there? Maybe. Um, at least to let it be known. And let's all start thinking about this. But the option that's been enlisted out there, offered by Honda, was here's a way that we can reduce some costs. You know, I kind of said, well, the only way is you're going to find a third engine manufacturer or you're going to uh, 
up the engine leases and make the teams pay for it. And neither, you know, the first one is going to be tough and the second one is not ideal. It was suggested that it go to what we said would be the option if Honda were to pull out. It would essentially be Ilmore making the engines badged by a single manufacturer, Chevy. And that's assuming Chevy would still be fine, which is probably an assumption um, that they would be fine. This would be the similar playbook that worked from what 2005 ish to 2011 when honda ran ilmore engines and then when hpd started creating their engines ilmore started producing the chevy engines so that was the suggestion that we could save a lot of money and not spend the money on development because that's what's happening now is is beyond this hybrid issue which is been expensive um trying to develop that but honda and chevy are both still spending money to try to find minuscule advantages but there are still advantages to be found because each year there's a little bit of an ebb and flow as to who's better whether it be at indy whether it be at road courses different types of tracks so in some ways that certainly would be a way to reduce costs. We've got the same engine. We just need to make sure that they last and then they're badged and they're still marketing there. In some ways, I'm a little bit surprised that the engine companies would be all for that because then they can't brag that they're developing that moves on to the road car. But, you know, maybe we're kind of past that and it's, hey, we just got to make the best of it. You know, unfortunately, uh, going back to the 5 million people, paying attention to the Indy 500, how many would not know that Honda and Chevy are not making Honda and Chevys if Ilmore did all of it at the Indy 500? 4.5 million? Yeah. yeah. 4.8 million? 4. <laughs> I don't know. So they, they could still get branding across and save a lot of money and provide a better return on investment. While I generally wish that wasn't the path that the manufacturers would take it's not un, it's not unheard of uh there are racing series that function in somewhat the same path anyway that's for chevy and honda to decide if they're willing to to participate in that format what i don't know and would love to know had that been suggested internally before and what was the response? My guess would be it was not positive or did not seem likely or Honda would not have gone public out of this. And then we get to the Chevy response. So there was a, a story uh, on Racer with comments from Jim Campbell. And there are a lot of comments in there. Maybe I can kind of summarize as simply... I think he spoke the way Penske prefers their partners to speak. We're not saying anything. We're not talking through the media about this. We'll have these discussions and share our opinions privately is the genesis of what I got out of that. I, I don't, I read the story last week. I don't, don't recall there being anything definitive on whether they would be acceptable to both running the same 
innards of an engine badged differently or not. I, I think Jim's response was that's a private conversation that we'll have. Yeah. I think that's, that's a summation of, of Jim Campbell's perspective in this story. And I respect that as well. And ideally from the series standpoint, that's, I'm sure what the series prefers. And and that's what I'd still love to know is how did we get to that point where Honda decided this is the only avenue we have left? We have to drop a bomb here. And it's, you know, the money quote was more so, as, as we talked about, and I, I said, you know, maybe that's not all bad. I was thinking more from the response of we need a better ROI or we're out. But then it was a second part of, and I don't know why any third manufacturer would want to join. That's the one that that probably stings a little bit more is, okay, we're trying to recruit a third. That's probably not the best thing to say unless we know that there's going to be a better answer to provide for people. Now, maybe everyone knows that there is no other option for a third manufacturer on the immediate horizon and it's going to take something new to get people in. And I think even Mark Miles has said publicly recently, we don't expect to really get deep into conversations until the hybrid is going. I, th I think I have that accurately, that what I've seen in a published report in a couple of different outlets from, from Mark recently is that, yeah, once we get the hybrid going, then I think we'll be able to really start having conversations with uh, OEMs and engine manufacturers because that's what interests them the most, which was one of the reasons why there was kind of a shift, whatever, four or five years ago from what the plan was for the next generation of power that wasn't going to include hybrid, now is going to include hybrid. So uh, that's where we stand on that front, and that will be fascinating to follow as we move into the near new year. Let's move to your questions. Well. You know, we had this options, you have multiple choices. What do we got? Yeah, here? I think I think we have some options. Um I think about, you know, highlighting some of the things that we don't normally talk about. And we spent a lot of time talking about, even in this show tonight, talking about Joseph Newgarden. We know he won the Indy five hundred. We know Alex Pelot had a dominating stretch and won the series championship. But I would throw a couple other individual moments so i'm going to give you a handful of them obviously the polo and winning four times in five races was really a, a a signature moment of the season and he also won the poll for the indy 500 but if you were looking at individual moments and and important moments for a driver in a season i'll throw a couple of them at you obviously scott dixon doesn't need to win three races in the final four to have a a signature moment. But you think about Santino Ferrucci and his third place run at Indy and how big that was. And maybe as surprising, we talked about this, and I'm curious just which was more surprising to you. The fact that Augustine Canapito, with no IndyCar experience, no Formula car experience for that matter, goes out and runs in the top half of the field in the first two races of the season unbelievable performance and so i guess i would ask you um which was kind of a bigger moment for you just one of those that just goes holy cow and i it's probably ferrucci running third at the indy 500 
yeah but, uh, as as wonderful a story as canapino was and as positive as that was let's be real here it's not like he had the 12th best pace in those races he finished up there because he was smart and i give him credit for that he was smart and he finished and everybody crashed into each other and he moved up through attrition that's not meant to disrespect him or take away because all the other people crashed yeah. more than half the field crashed and he got there santino ferrucci was legit all month long and mm. it's not a huge shocker because we know how good he is the stats about how much he races forward and how good he is and the results of how many finishes he's had in the top six or seven in the indy 500 he's as good as it gets there for somebody that hasn't won the race but it was it, it wasn't just racing forward, which is kind of what it had been. I need to pull up his Indy 500 stats. No, they're all, had, they're all in the he top had not 10. Qualified well. But no, but he had not qualified well. That's right. He had, uh, through daring and skill and good race cars, moved forward in the races. But he was a threat in qualifying and in the race all day long. That was legit. That yep. was the story. Bigger story. So let me ask you this. There were several drivers that took a big, big jump in 2023. Scott McLaughlin got to third in the championship. Kyle Kirkwood won his first two races of, of his career. David Malukas is now at Arrow McLaren. That's a big jump. Christian Lungard established himself as a legitimate threat. And Linus Lundquist came out of nowhere. Which of those drivers would you say helped his case the most in 2023? Lungard, McLaughlin. I think McLaughlin was already there. You know, I do too. I, I think I might have picked him to win the championship last year. So he is. He told us in 2022 what he is, which is confirmed what people said that had seen him in supercars from Australia. So no change there, maybe slightly up, but he was already really good. Kirkwood confirmed what people thought about him in the road to Indy after a rough rookie season, but I think we all knew that he wasn't in the situation to show his potential. That's a possibility. Lungard took a big step forward. How about Lundquist? Lundquist earned a seat with by far the best overall team in a higher drive. That's it. You yeah. go from you go from you can't get a job <laughs> to you have one of I guess the four best jobs. Yep. Five best jobs if you want to include, you know, there's five cars at Ganassi now. Yeah. So yeah. Now, I... now Lungard has taken another step. He if he's a free agent at the end of 2024, which he might be. He might be number one because uh, some that were going to be like, I think, a Kyle Kirkwood, who's already been given an extension, are off the list. I have to go back to the list and who I think is on there. But um, Lungard might be really high, which I think is part of the incentive for Ray Hall to keep Yuri Vips under contract because they don't know if they're going to be able to keep him. Maybe. So there were four drivers who who won races in 2022 and and went scoreless in in 23. Which do you think will be the first to win a race in 24? 
Would that be, and Will Power is probably the answer, but also not winning races this past season, Otto Award, Colton Herta, and Alexander Rossi. Who's the first to win a race next year? It's Colton Herta because there are two street races early in the season, and Andretti is awesome in that category. And that's how I differentiate that, right? You've got St. Pete and Long Beach early in the season, and Andretti is hooked up there. But you could make – Pato Award is going to win a race. How many times did he finish second? Four or five? Yeah, something like that. And, think... and stayed in the championship hunt. He finished second four times. You know, I, I still think Rossi is going to find what he was at, but there's no guarantee. You know, it's been it's been a little while since he contended for the championship. Yep. But I have to believe he's going to win a race. Um I have to believe Will Power is going to win a race. But if I have to pick someone, I feel most confident in Colton Herta. I also think that Andretti is not going to have their best driver, whatever, ninth or 10th in the championship again. Yeah, I, I agree. And someone is going to be in the top five in the championship. Easier said than done. When you talk about three or four contenders at Ganassi, three at Penske, three, two at Era McLaren. You know, I don't think Malukas is ready to contend for the championship next year, but certainly Pato Award is, and Rossi might be as well, and on and on down the line. So, Who's probably happiest that the season finally ended? Ramon Grosjean, Callum Eilat, or Elio Castroneves? It's not Elio because he is eternally happy. Yeah. And as yeah. challenging and as frustrating as that was for someone that's used to contending for podiums and polls and was running in the teens, uh, I, I still think in Elio's mind, it was, I'd like to have one more race because I know I've got it in me. If we can get it figured out, I want to have another. So it's not him. Although we might have in some way, if he would admit it, been, yeah, it's, it's time to move on. Uh, my other choices were Grosjean and Callum Island. Oh, boy, that's a good one. <laughs> I might have thrown Joseph Newgarden in there, too, because he was kind of ready for it to end as well. It after sounded the last... like by the last weekend he was ready. Yeah. Yeah, And certainly midway through that race when he's turned around in the sand at Laguna Seca or lap one. Um, I'm going to say Grosjean because Eilat going into the last weekend still thought, I think, that he was going to return to that team. And it wasn't until that race when he tangled with his teammate again and then checked his social media after the race where it's, eh, I've had enough of this. I, this, this is not good for either of us. It is time. I, I believe that he is in a much better place. I know he wants to be an IndyCar, but I think running in the World Endurance Championship for a team co-owned by Tom Brady and who just signed as his teammate in the other car this week. Big superstar driver. I'll find that in a second. Uh, another form. Oh, that's where Jensen Button is. Yeah, Jensen Button. Jensen Button's in, right. in the other car, along with running the Rolex 24. He's running full-time uh, for, for that same team, I believe, 
in the other hyper car. Yeah. So I, I'm going to say it's Grosjean that it was time to move on. It was, yeah, we, we kind of saw that at Portland. I don't know that it was always as bad as it was kind of portrayed there, but it was time. So let's think about races that you're going to want to watch as a rerun during the off season. And the Indy 500 is always the number one race, but there were a couple and I'll give you three and maybe there's another one, but if you were going to go back and commit tomorrow afternoon to watching a rerun of, of one of the races, would it be St. Pete? Would it be Long Beach? Maybe Detroit, which was interesting for a first time through, or maybe something else. Well, here's my challenge. I've seen a lot of races since then. You can't remember. And worked multiple series. Um, let me look at box scores. Well, I thought St. Pete was lush. St. Pete point. was really interesting. We had a lot of carnage at, at turn four uh, with, that. with Kirkwood going yeah. over the top of a car. We had McLaughlin and, and Grosjean in a terrific battle at the front, which didn't end well for those two. St. Pete's okay, probably the, the Pato, one. Pato inherited the lead. I have to look at a box score to kind of remind me. Pato inherited the lead. They had what the wastegate problem or the plenum yep. plenum problem where they kind of just misfired for a moment and marcus erickson won the race long beach had, was, the race was fine long, long beach. beach you had uh you had the battle between dixon and award which didn't end yeah. well you had that great move that kirkwood made to go to from third to first with you had canapino coming out of the pits in front of ilot uh, yeah. which was interesting. Uh, I thought both of those races just had drama all through it. Detroit, I want to go back and watch because as a new circuit, while it wasn't particularly the best race on the circuit last year, but there were nuances to being new uh, that, that I didn't catch the first time through. And so I think I'd like to study that one a little bit closer, but either one of the first two was just, you know, St. Pete. Were those my three top choices? What's that? I thought those were, those were my the... three choices of yeah, the one to yeah. most watch again. My guess is I would find something that was more compelling than those. I think the Texas race might have been. Texas race is always good. Yep. Yep. Um, Just throwing a couple out there. Yeah. Um, well, I eventually will watch them all again, so I'll go in order. So here's one, and, and it's a little, you know, Joseph wins the Indy 500, so this that's going to be the answer. But overall, who would you say had the better year, Newgarden or Dixon? Because they both had some shining moments, and both of them probably ended the season unsatisfied. Newgarden, because he won the Indy 500, yeah. and he still won a lot of races. I get that, but he, I don't he think dominated he dominated the oval schedule. But and I don't until think the final two weekends, it was still going pretty well, and he was still in the championship dixon had a great year but if it's close at all yeah and you've won the indy 500 it's the driver who won the indy 500 i get it uh, maybe and, you can uh, argue about you know uh, a driver that if you gave me a choice of new garden versus hello some would still say it's New Garden because he won the Indy 500. But in this case, because of how dominant Pelot was, and we're big picture, not just you know who gets the most attention, it's Pelot. Agreed. I just think Dixon had a, a great year. Dixon had a great year. They both had. They both probably left this season thinking, 
boy, it just, it just didn't quite go, uh, you know, they're both trying to win a championship. So anyway, those are, those are a few, I, I guess maybe w one more in terms of, of breakout. Uh, yeah, we've kind of covered a lot of them. Uh, I, maybe I'll leave you with one more who had the better Indy 500 that we're not talking about. I mean, I got to 12th. We talk about his struggles at the Indy 500. He finished 12th on the lead lap. Connor Daly, another top 10 finish. Alexander Rossi comes in fifth. Renus VK had a pretty good month, except for contact with, with um, Alex Pillow on pit lane. Any of those strike you as, as better than we never talk about? You're right that we don't talk a lot about Rossi's 500 fifth. and he was he was fifth he was very solid led a few laps not really a contender for the win during this race i don't re really remember him being right up there in that mix but that was strong um my other choices were vk connor they're all in the top 10 and i lot connor uh vk led a lot of laps made the mistake exiting pit lane though and that's what ended his chances Yep. He had to drive through, but recovered. Connor had a, as he always does, had a really strong 500. Um, not just, just not enough raw speed. He was not really a contender either. Who was my, my last choice? Ilot. Ilot, because, you know, we don't talk about Ilot at the Indy 500. It's almost yeah, he like he's just recovered. I'd have to watch it again to see where he was at. Yep. How, how did he get to 12th? Did he get mentioned? I haven't watched the broadcast yeah. since, you know, probably the day after the race. I haven't watched it again yet. I think there's going to be one of these years. I'll just kind of leave, end it with this. I think probably Rossi is the answer in fifth, but I think there's going to be one right. of these races where Renus VK puts it all together and he's in the conversation in the final segment. I don't know how, when that's going to come. I don't know if it'll come. But I think there's probably a race in his future where he's a contender late. Here's the thing with Renus. What is going to be interesting when he is in that situation? Because it, he's going to be in that situation soon. And he's had fast cars forever. But I don't think he's ever been in the mix. He hasn't. Beyond the halfway point. And I think you need that experience, especially with the drafting and the snake. I think you need to experience that for a year before you can win the race. So, you know, we're way ahead of the game. And I don't care if Renus VK wins the poll or not. I love Renus VK and I think very highly of him. I doubt I put him in my tier one for winners just because of that. If he finishes in the top seven or eight and runs up front in 2024, he's probably tier one for 25. But I don't have him. I think you need to go through that because so many others have. Almost all of the other contenders will have gone through that. And yeah. I don't care how good Kyle Larson's car is and how good he is throughout the month. I won't be able to put him in tier one because he's not been there and done that. Agreed. Which Kyle is Larson is a whole nother more than one year. It's a whole nother conversation. And maybe we'll start the 24 uh, calendar year with, with some of the key things to watch and, and some of our big storylines. And certainly Kyle Larson is going to be, very key among those because uh, he's going to be a fascinating watch just as, as Kurt Busch was in, in uh, 20, I always forget whether it was 2014 or 2015. Uh, but uh, 
that would uh, that that's going to be fascinating. And Jimmy Johnson was the same way. So it's going to be really interesting to watch Kyle. I think there's still some news items and tweets we haven't covered. So we'll get to that coming up in a moment on Trackside. Hi, this is Takuma Sato. You are listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Okay, I want to start this segment with uh, a few questions from X or Twitter from Fleetwood Marky Moose. This has actually been on the table from a couple of weeks. I think he asked a good question here when we were talking about television. This was around the time of the NASCAR deal. He says, uh, by the way, for apples to apples, do we know how much NBC and Fox paid for their races on a per race basis? Compared that to the per race figure from the 13 deal, which I estimate, Marky Moose writes, at about $18 million from $800 million divided by 43 races. That'll tell us how much Warner Brothers and Amazon sweeten the space. And I think I replied to this at the time and said, yeah, that's right. And somebody like Adam Stern from Sports Business Journal may get that, but I have not seen that. You know, I've said before that uh, you know, the NASCAR people are, the, the, the fans, especially those that don't like streaming, are not going to be happy. But the reason this works is I have to assume that for those five exclusive streaming races, the per race fee is significantly higher than what Fox or NBC are paying. But I'd love to know what that is. But NASCAR has not leaked that, uh, and that has not been leaked. But at some point, Adam Stern will find that, and that'd be interesting. And that would help, and I guess in some ways it helps IndyCar, but it's still a different product. It, it's a template, and I've seen quotes from Mark Miles and Roger Penske, and this is going to be a fascinating TV negotiation between IndyCar and outlets because they're looking at that, they're probably even more so looking at the $125 million per year number for the CW for Xfinity races. And I think accurately saying, well, wait a minute, they don't have the Indy 500, but they do have more races. It's, it's a lot more races. It's about twice as many. Um, so I don't know, but, but I know that is an area where the owners and IndyCar feels like there could be growth. And I just don't know what the options are. And, and honestly, you know, it's probably better for other people that don't work for one of the networks uh, or work for the series to offer comment. So just being honest with you. So I will continue to read what Adam Stern writes about this and other journalists. And when they have definitive quotes, and there have been a couple of things this week, but I don't think there was anything in there that I needed to read. We do like reading with Kevin, but I don't think I've seen anything that told me one way or the other, you know, yeah, we've had some meetings and it's great. And, and IndyCar, by the way, needs to let it be known that we have other suitors that helps their negotiations with NBC. I believe that everybody wants to continue on, but both parties have to make the best deal and they will. But that's, that's a good question from Marky. Also, uh, I'm just kind of scrolling backwards because I saw a couple Ken Anderson writes is the thermal event in any jeopardy of becoming a test exhibition for the ERS, Energy Recovery System, or the hybrid? He says, selfishly having purchased a tick gulp, I'd be bummed, but it certainly looks as if 2024 is still in play. IndyCar needs track time. 
No, I, I don't. Well, I don't think so. I mean, is it just a test? I mean, I. I'll admit it's one of the things that I wondered about. Uh, if if it's ready to be developed, I, I think that would enhance the events. Oh, I, I do the too. Race. I think the exhibition race would still be with the combustion engines and what they're starting the season with at St. Pete, because I highly doubt that they have enough. But to me, that sounds like a really good opportunity to potentially do something uh, on one of the practice days. And hey, this can be the public rollout and create more energy for that event. And if they felt good enough to run them in the race, if they're ready, that's fine too. Well, I don't, I thought the tone of the question suggested that it might turn out to be a big negative as a ticket buyer. And I don't, I don't think it will be a, I think it'll be interesting if it happens. And I don't think it's a negative if it happens. Yeah, I don't either. I, I think that's one of the best options to use some time, you know, because it's not a venue that they race at. Yes. They will learn things that they can apply to, barber and other permanent road courses you can always learn things but that would make make a lot of sense on that front and then there was a similar question along those lines that since buckeye asked why can't honda and chevy show up each race weekend with test teams that run the hybrid in practices and maybe a race stint in the back to get real world testing well they could but that costs a lot of money. That means you've probably got to have extra cars with engines fitted. And I'm not going to say that's not an option since you're already there. And I, I would think there's a possibility that we see a lot of that on Mondays, you know, throughout yeah. the year that they race somewhere over the weekend and then, all right, we're all staying an extra day. And that way you don't have to travel somewhere else and you're not getting an advantage if, if, Say Penske has two cars with engines and other teams have one car, so on and so forth. I think that makes more sense. During the race weekend, there is not very much practice time allocated to begin with. And I don't think anyone is going to want to spend that time or the track has available extra session time to do that. It's very, very expensive. After the weekend, um, yeah, maybe. You know, to run a race stint in the back, I think you want to debut them all together. I, I don't. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, I don't know. But but it takes some outside the box thinking to be able to get this going after a season has started. Ken Anderson uh, writes yesterday in the new season of Reacher, which I believe is an Amazon Prime show, which I believe is a very, very big show. One of the big ones, right? Yes. 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 In the third episode, I was surprised to hear this line. I don't know if you could hear that or not. Not enough. Not enough. Actress says they're sitting in a big lobby and a huge lobby. And the actress says something like big enough that you could hold an indie car event in. <laughs> and I saw Indy 44. Matt tweeted that he's because he sees everything. He mentioned that over the weekend. So the question was, any idea if it's a result of product placement or a script writer who is a fan of IndyCar? Any large event, 
could have been used for comparison. Why IndyCar? Small wins are still wins. Ken writes. Well, it, it comes down to the script writer. Uh, it, you know, the writer writes these things. I've got a son in the script writing business who, who uh, writes things into commercials and so forth. It happens. Maybe. I, yeah, maybe. I got to think, because to be honest, that doesn't fit there. So I think it takes the showrunner, the executive producer to be a fan because. Oh, I agree. I just mean somebody someone like... is going to say, what do you mean? You know, the, the real answer here is this is big enough to play a football game in. I love IndyCar and I'm not thinking a big lobby is big enough for an IndyCar event. We don't run a lot of indoor events. Uh, I, I love it. I appreciate it. I'm leaning towards we paid for that. <laughs> we, I meaning you. Well, we might have. I didn't, but because uh, those things do happen. Yes, they do. And I, I think it's a bit of a reach for the show Reacher, but you'll take what you can get. And maybe it is that maybe the writer and they just say, it's kind of like sometimes people send us phrases. Can you get this in the broadcast? And people might wonder, our booth boys tend to do that more. I, I've got a lot of things going on. It's hard to do that on pit lane because I've got nine seconds to say what I want to say. So I normally don't get involved with that, but that type of stuff does happen. So maybe that's an internal joke with a couple of fans that just let's find a spot. That's the best they could find. I've done it uh, many times in Indie star copy where I drop in a phrase or a name or a word that, only my friends would know. You drop in efforting. I hear no other person drop in efforting but you, and then I sometimes use it. So, No, I hear other people use efforting. I don't uh, think I originated that. I'm not that creative. You popularized it in IndyCar lingo. Yeah. Okay. Mike Stoops asks, what are the chances we will look back at the thermal race and think this was an odd decision, having a race at a track in a private neighborhood? The more I think about it, it feels a little desperate. Is there an angle I'm not understanding, Mike writes? I don't know. I don't like the word desperate. I do think it's creative. I do think uh, it has the possibility of, of, you know, either being really good or just, eh, it was just, it was nice to do something different. We might not do that again. Um, or it could be great. I, it's hard to tell. It's just so hard to tell with these events. Um, you know, we don't, we spend more time talking about the, re, the, going back to thermal, it, you know, could the question be, you know, what's, what's Milwaukee going to look like? You know, I think that's a more interesting question given and how a more critical question, a critical question. Yeah. I think that's a, it's a more interesting question to me than what thermal is going to look like. Worst case scenario is, yeah, it was worth a try. Yeah, this is I not, agree. I don't see any scenario. I would agree desperate doesn't fit. I don't see any scenario where this is embarrassing or horrible or damaging for IndyCar. It is a place without grandstands. They will put up grandstands to fit the number of guests, and that's essentially who's going to be there, thermal resident guests and club members. At this event, if it's a thousand, there'll be a thousand. If there's 5,000, there will be 5,000. And what it will be is a race and content on a weekend we would otherwise not have had any. And by the way, and the it's back two hours the, of network television, 
the backdrop exposure of... with some time to expand on some personalities because the finish of the race doesn't impact the championship. The backdrop of the mountains and the scenery that shows up in the camera shots will sort of temper the fact that you don't see grandstands. Correct. And what we also don't know is the financial arrangement. Is the Thermal Cub Club also paying IndyCar to some extent? If they are, then that's a huge win. If there is a sanctioning fee, I have no idea if there is. But if there is, it might just be simply a trade, you know, because normally you'd have to rent the track. When you go test at Sebring, you've got to rent Sebring and pay for that. Um, but if this is a sanctioning fee or even if it's just a trade and it's free testing opportunity and exposure on NBC, I think there's some positive to that. And is it going to happen? I don't know. You know, they had an event last year, and I'm not aware of any business coming from it. But if one billionaire, and there are many billionaires that live there, decides I either want to bring my company or bring my money to partner with a current owner or start a team, then it has become a massive win because you always can use more well-funded owners. Yep. I agree okay. with that. Um, what we missed and some news uh, with Jackson Lee and what he's doing <laughs> next released. I saved that for the very end of the show, so you don't have to suffer through that if you don't want, but it's pretty cool. A chance to run with the Rolex 24 event I think is pretty cool. We'll get to that next on Trackside. Hi, this is Kyle Kirkwood, and you're listening to Trackside. Okay, final segment of the year, and I'm sure there are still a lot of nuggets that we need to pass along. Luke Combs, Post Malone, playing Hy-Vee IndyCar Weekend. We'll talk more about that when we're back on Tuesday night, January 9th. We encourage all press releases to be sent out on show day, so I had to oblige a lot of thrashing here in the household to get... Uh, some logos finalized and positioning on the digital image of the car, but it was announced today that my son, Jackson Lee, will be making his IMSA sports car debut as a part of the Rolex 24 event. So this will be in a GT4 car. The series is called the VP Racing Sports Car Challenge. These are the same cars that you'd see in the Michelin Pilot Challenge. Really cool cars. Uh, and he will race with Steven Simpson's team. Some of you know Steven from IMSA. A great coach in the road to Indy as well. Jackson will be in a Porsche Cayman RS GT4 Club Sport. Two classes in this series, P3 cars, uh, GT4 cars. So he'll get that experience with faster cars blowing by him and, and hopefully a chance to do well. Not shutting the door on the road to Indy, just need to find more money and uh, hoping to get some opportunities to do something there for him next year, including maybe just a one-off in May in USF Pro 2000 with the Indy GP. This series also races with IndyCar at St. Pete. Still working on finding more partners to make sure we can do the whole season, but exciting. Uh, a lot of opportunities to race in other series. The GT4 is a widely used platform, so that's kind of how we chose that. And we'll see Jackson in a car at Daytona the weekend before the Rolex 24, and there's still a chance of something happening Rolex 24, so stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for 2024. Thank you so much for everyone joining us and make, making us a, a platform for you and a home for you to get some of your IndyCar news. We appreciate that, and we'll see you next year here on Trackside.